Love Your Church from the sermon series Love Me, Love Me Not, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. Happy Women's History Month. I stand before you today as a proud woman, as a proud partner and um, pastor here at Metro Community Church. And I am excited to say that because we are a church that believes in women in ministry, women in leadership. We support that. And I am glad to be a part of a church um, that does so. But I like church anyway. I am one of those people who is just, I'm just a church girl through and through. And maybe it's because um, Maybe you could say I kind of inherited it, maybe. My great-grandfather was the pastor of Oak Grove Baptist Church in Littleton, North Carolina. Um, the church is like, was like half of that and, less, and wasn't quite as nice um, when he pastored it. Um, and my mother grew up within walking distance to this church. So she was always in the church, always serving. And as God would have it, when, we moved, when my parents moved to Englewood, New Jersey, they bought a house within walking distance of the church that I would grow up in. And so I was one of those kids that as soon as the church doors were open, it seemed that I was there. Right? My mom had me and my brother in the church all the time. And so growing up, it was second nature for me to be there. This was the family of people who, who welcomed me and loved me and helped teach me about God and, and shepherded my gifts and called gifts out in me. And they disciplined me, right? And they helped me grow in my faith and in my love for Jesus Christ. And so even now, even if I go to a church for the very first time, there's something about being in the church, in the presence of God, among his people that just speaks to my heart. I love the reverence and the collective faith that happens when the people of God come together. Amen? Amen. And we just saw that here, right? Just the reminder that when we come together, right, hearing the worship team sing that we will build our firm foundation on God's love. We get that encouragement when we come together as a body in Christ inside the church. But I have to be honest that being in church hasn't always been easy for me. Church people have questioned my motives. They have talked about me. I felt deeply betrayed by church leadership at one point who I thought um, sided with the perpetrator instead of a victim in a particular incident. I have been surprised to find that the people that I saw raising their hands and shouting on Sunday seem totally different throughout the week, right? <laughs> and I remember being a teenager, and my youth pastor at the time said, you guys are part of the church, you have to come to church meetings. So I went to my very first church meeting as a teenager only to find that the associate minister stood up and challenged the pastor at that meeting. And it was so rude and so abrasive that my pastor stood up and he looked her in the eyes and he told her to get out. And when she left, she took a bunch of women with her. Women that I had loved and admired, and that hurt me. But I still love the church because despite its flaws, and to be clear, we are the flawed ones. It is God's gift to us to grow and to serve and to build his kingdom here on earth. 
it's hard and it's messy and it's painful, but it's also life-giving and healing and it fulfills God's promises here on earth. We are continuing in our series, Love Me, Love Me Not, and today we are going to be talking about love in the church. Now, some of you might be like me, a church girl or a church guy through and through. You're looking for ways to love your church better, but others of you might be rolling your eyes at me right now because you've been hurt in the church. Some of you left your former church because of unhealthy leadership or unreasonable expectations, theological differences, or unresolved issues, either with leadership or even with your brothers and sisters in the congregation. Some of you are here to heal and to sit and to just receive because you are so burned by the church, by performance and expectation. And I do hope that you find healing and refuge here. And some of you are here because someone told you that this church is not like the others. And so you came to Metro and you love the opportunity to be among God's people, but it looks so different from what you left that it feels a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more healing for you here. And if I'm being honest, some of you might be sitting with your arms crossed, either in your head or actually, because the hurt that you have encountered has actually happened here. Maybe leadership has failed you or disappointed you, or maybe you've been betrayed or hurt by a sister or brother in the congregation. And I have to say to all of you, I am so very sorry. Church hurt is real, And it is deep because we are so vulnerable in this community. And we expect our brothers and our sisters to do better. And oftentimes we forget that we are all broken and that we are all in need of God's saving grace. But let me be clear, this is not an excuse for bad behavior. It's just the reality. There are no perfect churches. Only in heaven will we see a perfect church. So if you've been hurt by the church, the notion of loving your church seems like more than I can ask of you, but hang with me, I'm going to ask you to love the church. Because I believe that if you just hang in with God a little bit longer, that God might have something to say to you. That there might be some words of encouragement or hope or affirmation or maybe even a challenge for you today because God wants you to be healed. He wants you to be free of the bitterness and of the pain. He wants you to embrace this thing called church that he established as part of building his kingdom here on earth. So before we get into how to love the church, let's first deal with how it's difficult to love the church. We're going to be talking about this awesome woman of God named Lydia and how much she loved the church. But before we go there, we need to talk about Paul and Barnabas. They're the ones who come and minister to her. But Paul and Barnabas are important because the reason that they come to Lydia is because they've been hurt by the church. So we're going to be reading Acts 16 as part of like the bulk of our sermon. But I want to start in Acts chapter 15 so you can hear about Paul and Barnabas' story. So turn with me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 39 through 40 just briefly, but let me give you 
a little background. Paul and Barnabas have been sent out by the church to evangelize the Gentiles. And at some point, Paul suggests that they go back and they start retracing their steps and go back and revisit some of the people that they have uh, already evangelized to, to encourage them more. And Barnabas wants to bring someone named John Mark with them. But Paul says no, because John Mark had abandoned them at another part of their missionary journey. Paul didn't trust John Mark. And so in Acts chapter 15, verses 39 and 40, we see these words. They had such a sharp disagreement, meaning Paul and Barnabas, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Later, Paul picks up Timothy to join them, and he travels from town to town according to where the Holy Spirit leads them. Here's the point. Paul and Barnabas experienced church hurt. John Mark abandoned them on the ministry field. Then Paul and Barnabas get into such a nasty disagreement that they have to go their separate ways. They can't even deal with each other anymore because they're so mad at one another. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Some of you have felt abandoned and betrayed by people in the church. Some of you have served in ministry alongside of people for years only to have the relationship fall apart. Some of you have gotten into such harmful and difficult arguments and disagreements that you can't see your way back. And so you separate just like Paul and Barnabas. Church hurt is real. And unfortunately, it's not new. But notice this. Paul doesn't stop doing ministry. Paul parts ways with Barnabas and John Mark, but he does not part ways with God. And he does not part ways with the church. In fact, not only does Paul continue in ministry, Paul continues to plant more churches. That's how much he believed in the power of the church. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he goes to Macedonia to a region called Philippi. And it's here in Philippi that he meets Lydia, who not only helps him build a church, but I believe helps him heal from some of this brokenness that he has experienced. So if you've been hurt by church, Hang on, God still has more in store for you. And if you are excited about the church, lean in a little bit more today and let's allow Lydia to show us how to love the church well. So if you have your Bibles, we are gonna be looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 15, excuse me, 11 through 15, and then verse 40. Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15, and then verse 40. And it reads as follows, from Troas, we, meaning Paul, Timothy, Silas, and um, Luke, put out to sea for, and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. 
One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opens her heart in response to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Lydia's from this region called Thyatira, which is modern day Turkey. And it was a proper, prosperous commercial hub that, had, um, that it was a major intersection for a trade. Many people worked in textiles and manufacturing and dyeing fabrics. And purple was particularly expensive and it was used for luxury items. So only the wealthy and the elite and the, um, the royalty used purple dye. So Lydia is a businesswoman and she trades purple cloth. That means her clientele are royalty. They are wealthy. They like luxurious things. So Lydia becomes a woman of significance and prominence. She has power and privilege. And quite extraordinarily, Lydia is a single woman. The text gives no indication that she had to confirm with anyone else that she was bringing Paul and all these people into her household. And what's more than that, the text says that it's not just a household, but it's her household. Meaning that everyone there was under her care. She's also a seeker of God. She's a worshiper of God. She believes in God, although she's not a full convert to Christianity yet. She and the other women meet by the river because they're not allowed to meet within the city of Philippi. Philippi was a, 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 a pagan region at the time. And so if you worship something other than the pagan gods, you were not allowed to worship within the city gates. So this group of women meet by the river where they are able to pray to God. And so when Paul comes to Philippi, normally he would go to like a Jewish synagogue where he would begin to teach about Jesus. But there is no synagogue in Philippi. So he goes to the river where he encounters a group of women praying to God. And I don't want us to miss this, that Paul is doing something pretty extraordinary here too. Paul is teaching women. He doesn't shy away from it. He sees women as deserving of the gospel themselves. And Paul knows that women don't need a husband or a man or a father or someone else in their life, a man in their life, to translate the word of God to them. That they can hear it for themselves. And it's a good thing that Paul doesn't mind talking to women because these are the women who will help him build the Philippian church. Lydia is a leader among them, and she is a wealthy businesswoman, but she gives herself and her work over to the work of the Lord. She gives her life over to the church, and she loves the church, and we know this by her actions. She demonstrates that she loves the church. So how does she do it? How does she teach us to love the church? First, we love the church when we respond to the gospel message. We demonstrate that we love the church when we respond to the gospel message because it strengthens our faith and thereby it strengthens the church. 
Look at verses 13 through 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to God's message, to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia heard the message that Paul preached and she responded to her. Lydia was a worshiper of God, but she was also what we might call a seeker. She was most likely a Gentile, but she knew something about God. Enough to worship him, but she needed more. She hadn't yet been introduced to Jesus Christ. Now, maybe some of you are seekers. Like, you know something about God, but you're here because you want to know more. And the truth is, we're all seekers in a sense. There's so much to know about God that there is no way that we can know it all. And so we come here so that we can learn more about our Savior God, and we do so together. That's the church. We come to learn about God together. And because Lydia was, a, was in that place to receive the gospel, she did. She had an open heart, and she was surrounded by other people who were on a journey together to get to know God. God responded to the faith she had and the yearning in her heart and opened her heart to receive the gospel. She came to understand the truth of Jesus Christ. She came to know for sure that God is, that Jesus is fully human and fully God. That he lived a perfect and sinless life. That he died voluntarily out of love for us because he took on all of our sin when he went to that cross. And he died because he loved us. But the best part is that the story doesn't end there. Because three days later, God, Jesus raises from the dead. And when he does so, he proves that he conquers death and hell and the grave. That is the gospel. And that is what Lydia heard. And when she heard that message, it spoke to her heart and she responded to it. And her response was immediate. She immediately accepts the word and she believes the gospel. That is her first response. And the, the truth is, that's always our first response. When we hear the gospel message, we are to respond to it and say yes. Amen. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. Lydia makes that confession, and she becomes a believer. And she makes her commitment to Jesus known by being baptized. Some of you believe in Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Lydia shows us that part of our response to the gospel is to be baptized. Jesus was baptized. And in the Great Commission, he tells us to baptize people. If you need to be baptized, please see one of the pastors. 
Lydia believes the gospel. She gets baptized, but then she goes even further. She tells everyone she knows about Jesus. She evangelizes to everyone in her household, and her household gets saved and gets baptized. Brothers and sisters, the message of the gospel is not just for us. It is for everyone. It is for the entire world. We show that we love our church and trust the message that is being preached and taught when we share that message with others. We demonstrate that we are serious about our faith when we respond to the message. This is why we do next steps after each sermon so that you can live out the sermon not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. This is how we become a strong church, by being filled with people who love God and are serious about their faith. Now, you know that Paul wrote a lot of letters in the Bible, and the majority of the epistles, these are the letters to the churches, are written by Paul. Oftentimes, Paul is responding to something that's going on in the church, and he has to reprimand the people. But oftentimes, he also commends them for their faith. Listen to what Paul has to say to the the church at Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for all God's people. He's talking to the church here. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. He's able to say these things because the people have responded to the gospel message continually in faithfulness, and it is evident in the church. The church is stronger because of it. When we take what we learn here and we live it out with one another and we live it out in the world, it strengthens our faith. And people of strong faith make a strong church. And what better way to love the church than to be people of strong faith? We work to make it stronger. We love our church when we respond to the gospel message. Second, we love our church when we consider the needs of the church, when we care about the church. Look at verses 15 and 40. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Lydia saw that there was a need within the church community and she filled it. Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke had been traveling from region to region spreading the gospel. They had nowhere to stay in Philippi. They didn't live there. They were at the mercy of the kindness of strangers. Lydia saw the need for them to have a place to stay. She also saw that as the church was growing, they would need a place to worship. And so she offered her home She considered the needs of the church. 
She cared about the needs of the church and she sought to fulfill it. And she offered her home up to the church. Lydia used her resources in service of the Lord. She must have had a pretty large home because she already had a household full of people. And now she was taking in at least four other men, not to mention all the people who would come to worship at that church. It is absolutely beautiful how much she loves the church. It's wonderful what she does. Lydia sees the needs of the church and she realizes that she can do something about it. That she's able to do so because she doesn't separate her world. She doesn't have church over here and her life over here. She brings the two together. And what she shows us is that she has reordered her life since receiving the gospel. So that the work of God comes first in her life. Her priorities changed when she accepted the gospel. She didn't stop being a businesswoman. She became a Christian businesswoman. Her work became to exercise hospitality and to help the church grow. Her home, her resources, and her energy were given to God to serve God's purposes. She used her resources to fulfill the church's needs. Now, this may look differently for each one of us, but God is calling us to care for the church with what he has given us with our time, with our talents, with our treasure. Have you ever asked yourself, what does Metro need? How could I help Metro? I know some of you do, but what about the rest of you? Some of you have given your home up to small groups and to ministry gatherings, and we are so grateful to you. I have been blown away by people who've said, I rented this apartment so I could have a large dining room table and invite people over to eat. When I bought this house, I knew that I could have people in my backyard and we could have events out there. That I, I have all this indoor living space because I wanted to fill it with small groups. That is such a blessing. Praise God for you. Some of you type endless emails and send reminders for events and, and track registration and follow up because God has given you the gift of administration. Some of you get here early every Sunday morning to, to put together these chairs and put all this up because you've got time and you've got strength on a Sunday morning. Some of you can't get out as much, but you pray and you, and you send greetings and, and encourage people. Some of you volunteer on committees, planning and dreaming of what this place could be like, what Metro could be like to serve the kingdom of God. Some of you cook meals and deliver them. You accompany people to doctor's appointments. God bless you all. Where do you see a need at Metro? We don't have it all together. We're a great church but we could always improve. And chances are the need you identify is something that you might actually be able to fulfill. In fact, that need will go unmet until you step up and fill it. God showed you that hole for a reason. Now, someone, maybe a few someones out there think that volunteering for the church is a waste of time. 
But let me lovingly challenge you today. I want you to start thinking about eternity. You'll spend 50, 60, 70 hours at a job that does nothing for your faith, that brings you no closer to God. But you can't give 10, 15 hours a month to building up the kingdom of God here on earth through his church? Jesus makes it plain in Matthew 6. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in for where your treasure is. There your heart is also. Brothers and sisters, are you so busy storing up treasures on earth that you have no time or desire to serve God's church? Because this work, this work in the church is kingdom work. It has the potential to transform a person's entire life. And I'm not just talking about how they live here on earth. I'm talking about eternity. That chair is important. My brother in his church in Atlanta just set up and he said he never realized how important the chair was until the pastor explained to him that a person sits in that chair and they hear the gospel message and they might give their lives to Christ because they've been in that chair and they heard the gospel message. That the songs we sing and, and the people putting up the lyrics on ProPresenter, that's important because someone might see those lyrics and hear those songs and it might encourage them to keep going and not take their life this week. That someone walking through those doors hears a greeting, sees a smile, someone says hello to them, it reminds them that they belong here that someone loves them, that they are seen, that they belong in the kingdom of God. That that social media post that goes out midweek might remind you to stay the course a little bit longer, to turn towards God and not into a life of sin. Brothers and sisters, I'm not being dramatic. This is the work of the kingdom. The Bible says that someone sees, um, plants the seed, another one waters, and God gives the increase. We have no idea where we are in someone's journey. We might be the seed. We might be the one watering. Or we might see the increase here at Metro. This is not small work. This is kingdom work. And God invites us to be a part of building his kingdom here on earth. We love the church when we consider the needs of the church and we seek to fill them. We love our church when we respond to the message, when we consider the needs of the church, and finally, when we commit to the church, when we hang in there. Look at verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. 
So you need to know what happened between verses 15 and verse 40. In between, Paul and Silas get arrested. They get thrown in prison, and then they ultimately get released. And so here's the short version of this story. Paul and Silas are traveling around Philippi, and they encounter a girl who has this spirit of telling, uh, telling the future. And she goes around, and she's going around, and she's saying that Paul, she's following Paul and Silas, and she's shouting that they are servants of God, and they're calling people to be saved, and Paul can't take it anymore, and he casts the spirit out of her. Well, this girl had been making money for a group of men. And when the spirit is cast out of her, they realize that they are no longer able to exploit this girl and make money from her. And so they call the authorities and Paul and Silas are taken to jail. They are beaten, they are flogged, they're taken to jail. And they stay there. And we don't know how long they were there, but eventually they are let out. And where do they go? They go back to Lydia's house. They go back to the church. Lydia had created this place that was so warm and gracious that Paul and Silas had to go back. They went back to the church. It was where they could go for comfort and respite. They had endured so much. And when they needed to be refreshed, they went to the church. I don't know about you all, but there have been times in my life where the world has beaten me up so badly that the only place I can go is to the church to sit in the seat. And even when I'm struggling with my own faith, to have the collective faith of the saints singing and preaching and praying and speaking over me, that's the work of the church. Then when you've been beaten up by the world, when you've been flogged, when you've been thrown in prison, when you've been cast away by the world, that you come back to the church and the church will receive you. That's what Paul and Silas did because Lydia was committed to the church. And this was no small task because the Philippian church was a mix of all kinds of people. The church community that she helped start was a mixture of poor and rich and beaten and tortured and imprisoned. And there were men and women. Her home became a place for the ex-offender and for the elite. They would eventually be Gentile Christians and Jewish converts, but it was also where the Holy Spirit dwelled. Last week, Pastor Anzi talked about marriage and how to love one's spouse well. This week, we're talking about how to love the church well. And it is, it's pretty fascinating to me that one of the metaphors used to describe the church is a marriage. Right? That we are the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. But I think another fitting metaphor is that we're kind of married to one another in the church. If you become a member of a church, if you become a partner at Metro, you covenant 
to be in relationship with one another. We're kind of like married to each other here. We commit to one another. And just as your spouse might be the opposite of you and yet your complement, so it is within the church. We're all distinct, but we complement one another. We enhance one another, we challenge one another, we sharpen one another, and we're all different with different backgrounds, experiences, ethnicities, preferences, and yet we are joined together as one body in Christ. And it can be difficult. (laughs) Some consider themselves conservative and some liberal. Some are wealthy, others not so much. Some have formal education, others don't. But God calls us all here together and he calls us to commit to one another even when it's hard. It's kind of like a marriage. We are to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, loving, and united. That first group of people gathered at Lydia's house was a mix of everything, but despite their differences, they remained committed to the church. This is why the Philippian church will thrive. Can you remain committed to the church when it gets tough? Can you remain committed to the church when the differences seem so pronounced? but yet you know deep down inside that there's a common bond in the Holy Spirit. Can you remain committed to the church when you may not agree with everything that we say, particularly around justice, because it is a part of God's character? Can you remain committed when we take this leap of faith to build a community center in a town that needs it so desperately, but has so much political backlash. Can you remain committed when someone hurts your feelings? When deep down inside, and yet still believe in the reconciling power of God? And can you remain committed when things are great? Right? When God's spirit pours out powerfully in worship and when the person you've been praying for is healed and when someone is baptized and when the room is overflowing with people who are here at Metro to serve God. Without not only Lydia's partnership and resources, but her steady commitment, Paul's preaching and evangelism would never have produced this flourishing Christian community. The Philippian church owes its existence to the Holy Spirit's work through Paul's preaching, but also to Lydia's commitment to the church. In fact, the Philippian church would become one of the strongest churches that Paul plants. They would continue to support Paul in his missionary journeys. They created a legacy in that Philippian church over 2,000 years ago. What legacy are you creating here at Metro? What legacy are you creating for Christians who will come behind you? Can you love the church by remaining committed? As imperfect as it is, the church is God's gift to us. And let's be clear, it's not imperfect because of God. It's imperfect because of us. It's imperfect because we are part of the church. There is no perfect church as much as we hope that there would be one, there isn't. And yet God entrusts his church to us, to all of us. 
At the end of the day, we love the church because God loves the church. We love the church because Jesus is the head of the church. God's son, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, he is the head of the body and Jesus is the head of the church. And for some crazy reason that only God knows, he has placed so much trust and faith in us, his children, that he gives us the church to be a beacon of light in this world. God allows us to be a part of his kingdom work on earth through the church. He wants us to love the church because it is God's gift from him to us. Your love for the church is seed planted in good ground. God sees your heart. He sees your work. He sees your faithfulness. Nothing you do for God is in vain. Nothing that you do on behalf of the kingdom of God is wasted in God's eyes. God sees when you love his church and he blesses your faithfulness. He blesses your response to his message, your consideration and your care for the needs of the metro and your ways to, to, to fulfill it, and your commitment to stay engaged. Now, most of you have been coming to Metro for a very long time and you are used to hearing a story at the end of sermons. There is no story today. <laughs> because rather than me tell you a story about how someone else loves the church, I want you to write your own story of how you write the church, of how you love the church. So I'm gonna give you a few moments and I want you to think about if you love the church or not. And not just the universal church, but Metro. I want you to think about it. And if you feel like you love the church and you're giving and you're serving and you're considering its needs and you're responding to the gospel and you're committed to it, good. I want you to receive that grace from God. But if you know that God is asking you to do something just a little bit more and a little differently, I want you to consider what it would look like for you to love your church. So I'm gonna give you a few moments, and when you finish, I will close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your beloved church. And God, we know that it's not perfect.
And God, sometimes we don't know why you have trusted us with it. But God, we receive it as your gift. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brother or my sister who's struggling with loving the church. God, they have been hurt and their pain is real. But God, we also know that you desire for them to be healed. And God, your word, it says that you are near to the brokenhearted. So God, would you be near to my brother or sister whose heart is breaking, thinking about loving the church? Would you heal them, God? And God, there are some who love the church, who are deeply devoted and committed to the church, God, and who are seeking to love it more. And there are some people who are kind of in between and are trying to figure it all out. God, would you meet us each at our point of need? God, I pray that you would stir up something inside of each one of us to immediately respond to whatever you're placing on our heart, God. To look not just for ourselves, but to consider the needs of our church and to consider how we might be able to fulfill them. And God, to remain committed. Because being a part of a church is hard. Just like a marriage, just like a family, it can be hard. But even though it can be hard, God, it can also be glorious, God. God, we are so grateful that you allow us to see babies baptized and dedicated. That we see adults confess their faith in you, God, and are baptized. God, that you allow us to come together and to pray for one another. That we get to come together and to worship you, Heavenly Father, to be encouraged and reminded of our faith. God, we thank you for the privilege of walking alongside of one another in every aspect of their lives, from birth till death. God, we thank you for the brother or sister who lent us a helping hand, who gave us a hug when we needed it, for sat and prayed with us, God, who showed up in the hospital room, who sent the text message, God, who showed up on our doorstep with a meal, God. God, we thank you for those people who care for our children and children's ministries who come alongside of our our children with special needs as a buddy, who set up the chairs and the lights, God, who, who play the instruments, who sing the songs. God, nothing is wasted in your kingdom. And God, we thank you that you choose us as broken as we are, as messed up as we are, 
to be a part of building your kingdom here on earth. And there is no greater joy and no greater responsibility and no greater benefit to our lives and to the kingdom than doing your work. God, we say thank you. And we love you, God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.